in First Thessalonians chapter two, please. Uh, that will be uh, our text this morning. First Thessalonians chapter two. Thank you, Brother Stephen, for the testimony. Do be praying for um, Marvin. Uh, uh, he will uh, also share his uh, testimony on uh, the. Uh, that's next week, actually, thirteenth, uh, for the uh, baptism. Uh, as well as um, for Ben and for B and for Jody. And so um, uh, it's not easy to front up and uh, share a testimony, as you know. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that um, we're having them to do it. And uh, as Stephen says, it's not about the drama in the testimony, but rather the reality of it. And so, thank you. That's a, a real blessing. First Thessalonians chapter two. If I can just get this to work. Uh, in chapter one, uh, Paul commended the Thessalonian church uh, in their Christianity that they were genuinely redeemed, uh, that they were in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He was thankful of them and for them. Uh, he prayed for them, and the Salonicans demonstrated their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope in the coming again of the Lord Jesus. As such, Paul was confident in their election of God, in that their changed lives because of the gospel of grace was evident in and through them. It was a church that became imitators of the apostles as the apostles themselves became imitators or followers of Jesus Christ. The church and the congregation were an example to other churches in that they were evangelistic. They sounded out the word of the Lord and their faith were spread abroad. That's the, the Bible's uh, wording. Um, the inspired words wording uh, spread abroad so much so that Paul and his companions, uh, when uh, they went to Macedonia and Achaia, they need not to speak anything anymore for the Salonicans have evangelized the city in their own accord. Now verse 9, this once paganistic Heathenistic people had been totally transformed from serving idols into serving the one true God. They have become a church that was looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, I say it again. Calvary Baptist Church. Oh, how we all pray that we be so like the Thessalonian church. Thankful for the great things that he hath done uh, in these nearly 50 years of our existence as a church. And would to God, however many more years that he will give us, that we will all remain faithful as he has been faithful to us. A couple of weeks ago, we started learning about chapter 2. After Paul commended and described the character of the church, he proceeded <clears throat> in describing the character of the leadership. 
uh, again, if we are to continue to be a church that pleases the Lord, we need to have godly leadership and godly fellowship as well. They go hand in hand. As we all follow, we all become imitators of our greatest and best example, the Lord Jesus. It is quite unfair to expect that the leadership be godly when the membership isn't. If what you're looking for your pastor and any minister of the gospel uh, in this church and in any other church, you also need to look into the mirror every morning of all your waking life. Godly leadership and godly fellowship go hand in hand if the Lord is to continue to bless this church and indeed the church of others in the years to come. A spiritual leader is metaphorically described in the scriptures in many different ways. 1 Peter 5 describes spiritual leaders as shepherds. In 1 Corinthians 4, as stewards. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, as heralds. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, as teachers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as slaves. Servant leadership. Servant leadership. Now those metaphors come in different times and in different ways in the life of the spiritual leaders and indeed in spiritual leadership. This morning, Paul used yet another metaphor, that of a mother and of a father. The title of our message this morning is Spiritual Parenting. Spiritual Parenting. If you haven't done so as yet, First Thessalonians chapter 2, would you stand with me please, if you're able and if you're willing. First Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning here in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, were we willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behave ourselves among you that believe. As ye know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for your word that we have in our hands all this generation. I pray, Lord, now as I declare your word, oh, once again I pray that you would empower from on high. Spirit will teach us your truth, and most of all, that we would make personal applications in our day-to-day existence until you come. Father, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity and indeed privilege to serve you in this way. 
And I pray that everything that will be said and done in this hour will be for your honor and for your glory alone. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We find here that Paul moved from being apostolic to pastoral in his writing. Here he contrasted and shifted his emphasis compared to verses 1 to 6 to a more intimate metaphor, that of a mother and a father. You see, beloved, as you and I know, a mother is gentle. And for the most part, not only to be known as so, but actually demonstrates and provides gentle care. A father, on the other hand, is the authority, the one who takes the lead in the family. And Paul illustrated here the balance of spiritual leadership. The balance of spiritual leadership in this metaphor. The tenderness and the gentleness of a mother and the boldness and the courage of the father. We learned last time, of course, due to the tone of Paul's writing, uh, there were certain people in the church who were attacking Paul. We will see that later on in the chapter. They were really sheep in foxes' clothing. They planted seeds of doubt in his credibility. They had a thing or two to say about his sincerity, his integrity, and that they made it out that he was just another charlatan, a fraud, ministering in deceit and guile, and that he was hiding behind a cloak of covetousness motivated by greed and money. And so Paul dealt with all of that in verses 1 to 6. Here in verse 7, Paul used the contrasting word, but. But. Essentially, he said, with all that they have falsely accused me, we really were gentle among you as a nursing mother to her children. In fact, verse 9, Paul used the phrase, as ye know. Uh, you remember. Remember last time I told you that nine times in the, in the epistle that Paul used that phrase to remind the Thessalonians, to let them know how they know of him and how they know him. Uh, basically, he was saying to the church, you know who I am, regardless of what other people say about me. He was confident in his standing in the church, despite, again, what others make out of him. You see, reading Paul's other epistles, including this one, one can conclude that he was a courageous spiritual soldier, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is bold. Uh, he contended and unflinching for the truth, ready to reprove, ready to rebuke, and chasten and discipline. But you see, Paul was also a gentle, as a loving mother, which is the idea here. I remember when our girls were young and Cherry nursed them. It is quite a sight to behold. The closeness and the intimacy of the mother and her child. The word cherisheth here is thalpo. 
It primarily means to heat uh, or to soften by heat, to keep warm. I don't know about you, what a true picture that is, that of a nursing mother to her child. That connection of both skin to skin, heartbeat to heartbeat, breathing to breathing. And that, beloved, is how Paul described their relationship to the church. Him, Silas, and Timotheus. I cannot speak for others. I confess. I do not always manifest and act this way towards all of you. I desire to be, as I'm sure you also desire to be, and I pray that we will find it in our hearts to forgive each other when we don't behave the way that we should to and for each other. Here in verse 8. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto me. What Paul mentioned here is that unique love for the people and the part of a pastor. Affectionately desirous is himiromai, a strong affection, a yearning after. So much so that Paul and his companions were willing to lay down their lives for them. Wow. Wow. Affectionately desirous. That word is a strong word. It's the yearning after. That is not normal to any man. It takes the good God above to develop that into any man. And the longer I live and the longer I do what I do, if you would have asked me before when I was doing what I was doing to what I'm doing now, there are some differences that I didn't do. It's only because of the grace and the enabling power of the Lord that that is so. Every biography that I read these days, when I look into the Bible and when I see the sons of thunder, and then towards the end of the book where John is now an aged man and a changed man, when I look at Peter when he was still called Simon, and the change in the life that has happened to him, when I look at Paul, this Pharisee of Pharisees, the persecutor of the church, and how the Lord molded him, into a chosen vessel that he is for his people. And now that he is able to write what he's writing, to be somebody that is like a mother who cherisheth and nourisheth her child. Oh, what a gracious God. And what a God that can change each and every one of us. Paul here and his companions are willing to lay down their lives for them. They were not in it out of compulsion or because they have to. Due to just being responsible and prudent. Yes, I believe that is a part of it. But most of all, 
They were in it because of their care and passion for these young believers in this young church. Now why is that? It's in the verse. Because Paul, Silas, and Timotheus treated the believers there at Salonica as being dear unto them. As being dear unto them. The word dear here is agapetos. From agapao. It means godly love. It means giving love. It means caring love. It means sacrificial love. It is translated beloved. Dearly beloved. And well beloved. 59 times. 59 times. The love of Paul and his companions is evident. For genuine love finds expressions in giving to people not only to their spiritual needs, which is primary, but also to their physical needs. Again, I cannot speak for others. I hope you can believe me when I say, you are dear unto me. I'm not sure if I am at that point that I can actually lay down my life for you. Calvary Baptist Church. That is yet to be seen and yet to be proven. And the way things are going on in this world and the way persecutions are, it may be sooner than what we all think it to be. And if and when that happens, I pray that the Lord will give me the grace and the strength to exercise agapao to all of you. Now, before we leave this verse, I would like to draw your attention, please, to this word, impart. Impart. Imparted unto you the gospel of God. The word impart here is uh, metadidomai, and it means to share. The idea is giving, yet you still have it, and you do not lose it. This is true of our faith in the gospel. We share it. Okay? That's what we do. We share our faith in the gospel with the nurses, with the doctors, the ambulance driver, the cleaner. We share. We share it to people, but upon sharing, we do not lose our salvation. Aren't you glad that that is the case? We do not lose it ourselves. And that is why you know this for yourself. When you share the gospel to someone, and that someone got saved out of your sharing, you now have a common bond, a strong bond, in fact. And that is exactly what Paul was alluding to uh, uh, here in this church when he said, we have imparted to you We have shared with you not just the gospel, but our lives as well, because you were dear unto us. Oh, my friends, the ministry is investing your lives in someone. I was talking to a dear lady here in our church this week, and we're talking about things 
and discipleship. And we have come to a conclusion that discipleship, as I keep on saying, is not a program, but a practice. It's an investment of our lives to that someone. We teach them. We deal with their problems and their issues. We pray with them so that one day that disciple could also be discipling others. Oh, how I wish that many more of us would take the role of disciples in discipling somebody for Jesus Christ. Dear unto us. Verse 9. Paul said here, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail. For laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preach unto you the gospel of God. Paul and his companions were hard workers. He used two terms to describe their work. Labor, first, is kopos. Primarily denotes a striking, a beating. Uh, then, secondly, travail, moktos. It is that toil resulting in weariness, laborious toil, trouble. It is more than kopos. I say it again. Ministry is about laboring. Ministry is not just turning up. Ministry is corpus. Ministry is wearisome and tiresome. And if you and I are to desire to minister, we must be prepared to invest time, effort, and labor. They were laboring night and day. Why? Because they do not want to be chargeable to be a burden to any one of them. There is a hint here that Paul and his companions earned their keep. They did not make merchandise of men. Just as a side note here, beloved, this Salonican church, this Salonican church is one of those churches in Macedonia that were deep in poverty, deep in affliction, and yet, 2 Corinthians 8 told us, tell us, yet Paul said that they were abundant in their joy and abounding in their liberality. This is one of the church. That said, Paul must have known their state of poverty and they did not want to be an additional burden to them. That may be the case, beloved. But this church, in their great affliction, in their deep poverty, that they have supported Paul. They have been communicative to Paul and the ministry of Paul. And after even he left this church some three Sabbaths after, this church continued to communicate to Paul, especially and also the poor saints in Jerusalem. You go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and you will see how Paul has challenged the church of Corinth. What they have promised a year ago, they haven't fulfilled. And yet the churches in Macedonia did for the poor saints in Jerusalem. How good is that? 
the poor giving to the other poor and needy. You see, only the poor can really know what it's like, what's really like to be poor. And so with the little that they have, they gave. With the little that they have, they gave. And so Paul and his companions did not want to be a burden to them. They worked day and night so that they cannot be an additional burden to the church. Verse 10. Ye are witnesses and how and God also how holily and justly and unblameably we behave ourselves among you that believe. Here Paul summarized in his companions life and ministry. They behave holily. Holiness is the chief characteristic of the new man in Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 24. It is righteousness. It is godliness. It is moral purity. They behave justly. This is the chaos. Conformable to justice. Honestly. Deservedly, deservedly as it is fit. Uh, proper and right is the idea. Now turn to chapter 5, please, of 1 Thessalonians. I'll just give you a, a bit of an advanced um, understanding of this. What behaving uh, justly means in the context of leadership in the church. Here in verse 14, 5, 14, 1 Thessalonians. Now we exhort you, brethren, number one, warn them that are unruly. Warn them that are unruly. Number two. And really there are those people that are insubordinate. That's the word. Number two, comfort the feeble-minded. Number three, support the weak. And number four, be patient toward all men. We'll get there soon enough. But when Paul is saying here that they have behaved justly, that's what he's alluding to. <clears throat> to treat men justly is to treat them with honesty and equity and righteousness. It is to treat men in a way that is fitting in God, to God's word, depending on their character and their actions. It is to warn them that are unruly, like I said, those that are being insubordinate. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak and to be patient toward all men. That is what we will uh, deal with when we get there. Paul and his companions, number three, were without blame in his life and their ministry. He was always a good example. And every pastor, every deacon, every teacher, and anyone who are leading or in some sort of leadership position here in this church and any church for that matter, any sound, okay, any sound Bible-believing church must strive to follow the example of Paul. As clearly, Paul fo followed Christ. His ministry, his life in general is also or should be a pattern not only for the leadership, but also for the fellowship. There is no one exempted in the practice 
of the Christian life and in the example of the Apostle Paul. Of course, we're not elevating Paul over and above the Lord Jesus Christ, but we know that Paul is able to be confident in his instructions because of the way he lived and the way he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. People like that are worth following. Indeed, actions, actions, actions are more precious than words. In verses 11 and 12, as we close, Paul now summarized their ministry to the church. Here in verse 11. As ye know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Paul exhorted them, comforted them, and charged them. There's three there. To exhort as difficult as it may be, as unpopular, as confronting, as uncomfortable, to exhort is to teach and challenge and call to obedience. And it's not popular. And it's not always and readily acceptable. Exhortation. To comfort is the easier thing to do. And that's why many do preach messages of comfort more than they would messages of exhortation. To comfort, of course, is to encourage and to build up. And we need that. Oh, I need that. You need encouragement. And then, of course, to charge, on the other hand, is to command or give a strong witness to reprove and indeed to rebuke. This is what Paul did. And this must be done by any true minister of the gospel. You cannot just keep on preaching on kumbaya and love because it's popular. And that you would always just smile on television. One true minister of the gospel must exhort. He must comfort and he must charge to call to obedience the people of God, especially in these last days. Let us continue to expound on this verse. Paul ministered to every single one at the church, it says. Everyone means every man, every woman, and child of every age, the youngest to the oldest, the educated and the uneducated, the rich and the poor, the intelligent and the not so intelligent. No one was ignored. No one was neglected or left behind. Each one was valued as Christ's redeemed sheep and received the ministry that he or she needed with the goal of perfecting them in God's will as far as possible in this present life. Compare Colossians 1 verse 28, beloved. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present 
every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Still here in verse 11, here is the other metaphor. Paul ministered as a father doth his children. This refers to a good father who is dealing with his children according to God's word. A good father knows that ultimately his children belong to God and he must equip each one of his children according to God's service, encouraging them to serve the Lord, encouraging them to live a life for the Lord, encouraging them to give uh, not just their dollars and cents, but to give of themselves to the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And then the Bible says, the Lord says through this prophet Ezekiel, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so this must be the objective of every church leader towards each of its members. A good father chastens his children according to their individual needs. Help Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 to 10. A good father does not provoke his children to wrath or anger, but brings them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Like a father, Paul, Silas, and Timotheus were careful and wise in their dealings with this young church in Thessalonica. They exhorted them, which shows the earnestness of their appeal. And again, this is the essence why we are in this series, to be really ready for His return. And if we have been slacking off as Christians in our behavior and indeed our service to the imminent coming Lord Jesus, we would consider our ways and walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called, as Paul said to the church at Ephesus. They comforted them, which shows that they were aware of their weaknesses. It's a young church, young believers in the church. And so they comfort them, uh, aware of their challenges, their burdens, their pain. It was a, a place uh, and at a time where society was I, uh, full of idolatry. And so they came out out of that idolatry. It is a place where it's the center of commerce at the time and many immorality in the place. And they have to come out from that. They're not all squeaky clean, the church in Thessalonica. They were a young church. And so Paul, uh, Silas, and Timotheus, they comforted them, understanding of their weaknesses and did their challenges. Paul and his companions in ministry, their goal uh, uh, of the Thessalonians, I believe, is that with every other church that they have started together as well. And we find that in verse 12. Beloved, here in verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. That means you. That means me. That means all of us and every genuine believer. We are called unto God's eternal kingdom and glory. But you know, as we are called, 
there is first that someone who was first crucified at the cross of Calvary. That someone, of course, was Christ. And he is the one that is represented in the emblems here of the unleavened bread and indeed the fruit of the vine. But just before we proceed in the communion service, can I just briefly revisit with you Ezekiel 18.4. When God said through the prophet, all souls are mine. Beloved, you and I are not our own. I'm sure you know that already. We have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are bought with a price. Again, through the sinless body and indeed the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so I ask, a spouse that genuinely cares about you and your spiritual welfare, are you readying yourself for his return by behaving in the way that we are not our own, but our God's? Paul did, and his companions did. Would we? Are we readying ourselves for his return in the way that we are behaving in ourselves that we are not our own but our God's? And then the same verse said, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. If you're here this morning and still in your sin, this verse is for you. You see, all of us here are sinners. No one is exempt. We're all sinners, and indeed, we all deserve to die. And we all will. Some of us will die old, and some of us will die young. Some of us will die out of sickness. Some of us will die through a, not an accident, a car crash or any event in our life. But we will all die. All of us will die. Hebrews 9, 27, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. We all have an appointment with death. But the difference is this. Many of us here will die, yes. But that is only physically. If you are, and you are a genuine child of God, your death is nothing but a sleep, the Bible says. And indeed, you are ready for his return in that aspect and in that context. But if you are here and you are not born again, you really do not know Jesus personally. You do not have a personal, not intellectual, a personal relationship with him. Oh, my friend, I'm afraid that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That soul 
will die in a place called hell forever and ever. This is no longer a popular subject to preach publicly these days. It's no longer PC to mention hell. You can actually be sued by doing that these days. If little Johnny goes home and have a nightmare because the preacher of the gospel said that a person will go to hell. But I'd rather believe my Bible and preach it as it says. And Adam can look after the insurance aspects of it later on. But if you're here and you're not born again, you really do not know Jesus, I'm afraid you are destined to hell. But the good news is, you don't have to. Because someone has paid for your sin. That someone who had a sinless body became your substitute so that the wrath of God was satisfied. You in your own good works and in your own merit will never ever be acceptable as a sacrifice. Oh, but the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, he is the acceptable sacrifice. The good news is, the Lord is calling you to believe in him. Just like what we see in that verse on the wall. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish in hell, but have everlasting life. Oh, would you believe him today? Is there anyone here, right here, right now, yes, no bowing of heads, no closing of eyes. Is there anyone here at the moment that do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation. You have no certainty. You have no confidence. That if, you, if God would take away your life today. That you would know where you will spend eternity. Is there anyone? You would like to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. To be born again not of the flesh. But of the spirit. Anyone. Pastor many, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I'd like to know. Anyone? Anyone at all? All right. We that are believers then, are we readying ourselves for his return, acting and behaving that we are not our own? Fiona, men, would you now come?